Jennifer and her 12-year-old son, Ryan, have a nightly ritual. We put chocolate milk in this little shot glass. Then we open the capsule into the shot glass. The capsule is filled with peanut powder. Then we mix it around. And then Ryan slurps it. Tell them how much you love it. I love it. Ryan is being sarcastic. He hates the taste of peanut powder. Even the mere whiff of it disgusts him. But Ryan has good reason to hate peanuts. He's severely allergic to them. Like hives blossoming, throat closing, get me epinephrine now kind of allergic. He has spent most of his life living in fear of peanuts and working hard to avoid them. Which begs the question, if Ryan is so allergic to peanuts, why is he eating them every night? The short answer is that peanuts, the very food that could kill him, might also be the key to protecting him. You're listening to Sick Kids Versus, where we take you to the front lines in the fight for child health. I'm Hannah Bank, and this is Sick Kids Versus Food Allergy. When you have a food allergy, the immune system treats the allergen, be it peanut, milk, or soy, as a threat, like a virus or bacteria that needs to be attacked. For kids with mild allergies, this manifests as everything from redness and hives to coughing and sneezing. For kids with severe allergies, allergens can also trigger anaphylaxis, an extreme reaction that can cause terrible swelling and difficulty breathing. Left untreated, it can be deadly. There's a good chance that you already know all that. Maybe you have a food allergy. Maybe one of your kids does. Or maybe you're a teacher with a food allergic student. Because in Canada, we are in the midst of what some call a food allergy epidemic. More than 3 million Canadians and almost half a million kids have at least one food allergy. That's about one or two kids per classroom. It's hard to know why it's become such a problem, why there are so many kids like Ryan, because it wasn't always this way, certainly not in the 50s, 60s, or 70s. And while there is no clear consensus on how we got here, there are some pretty compelling theories, like this one, which sick kids allergist and researcher, Dr. Julia Upton, explained to me. When people first started recognizing food allergies in the 1990s, there was this thought that, oh, goodness, maybe people's immune systems are too immature to handle foods like peanut. And so the advice was to delay the foods. Turns out that wasn't such great advice. One of the most important findings of the last five to 10 years is the recognition that the earlier that you eat a food and keep it in the diet, it really appears that you become actually less likely to be allergic. So the recommendation to avoid allergens may have inadvertently created an allergy epidemic. Ryan was diagnosed with a peanut allergy as a toddler. His parents, Jennifer and Steve, aren't too worried at first. Ryan hasn't had a severe reaction yet. So they're careful, not paranoid. They still keep peanuts in the home. But then one night when Ryan is three, everything changes. 
instant tummy ache, unable to speak, trouble swallowing. She isn't sure what triggered the reaction, but at this point, it doesn't matter. Ryan is in anaphylaxis, and time is running out. As Jennifer dials 911, Steve props Ryan up on the kitchen counter. He's a Toronto firefighter, a man of calm in emergencies. But the prospect of jabbing his own son with a long, spring-loaded needle fills him with fear. Even though its contents, epinephrine, a form of synthesized adrenaline, could reverse the symptoms and save Ryan's life. The operator tells Jennifer first responders are on their way. But they don't have time to wait. Steve needs to give Ryan the epinephrine now. And he's like, no, just wait. I'm like, no, give him the EpiPen. (laughs) Ryan can't say a single word. And, you know, I'm panicking. He's panicking. We're all panicking. Finally, Steve jabs his son with the needle, flooding Ryan with epinephrine. The symptoms recede and Ryan begins to come around. From that point forward, Jennifer manages Ryan's allergies much differently. So all peanut products went to the garbage, effective immediately. We went from like zero to 100 in two seconds. We, we realized how scary and how severe it was. Reading and rereading labels, quizzing waiters, avoiding playdates. All that becomes routine to Jennifer. It's a whole new world. It's a whole shift to teach those around you that love Ryan and love us on how to live and how to be around a kid with a food allergy. At this point, there isn't any widely available treatment for food allergy. Kids like Ryan are told to steer clear of their allergens, even the may contain stuff, and carry an epinephrine auto-injector just in case. So Ryan does as he's told. He avoids peanuts. He learns to call his mom before eating anything at a friend's house, to separate his Halloween candy into two piles, one safe to eat, and one potentially deadly. It's all very onerous. The anxiety near constant. But as he gets older, another approach to food allergy is gaining traction. One that has researchers like Dr. Upton excited. It's called oral immunotherapy. And it just might be exactly what Ryan needs. Oral immunotherapy, or OIT, is a form of desensitization therapy for the immune system. Patients begin by eating tiny amounts of the allergen. Then over the course of months and under close medical supervision, the dose is gradually increased. The overarching idea is that over time, you're increasing the amount of food that, that your body can see or you know, ingest without having an allergic reaction. It doesn't get rid of the food allergy, but it increases the amount that the person can eat before they have an allergic reaction. The idea goes back to at least as far as 1908, to an article in The Lancet called A Case of Egg Poisoning. Basically, someone described way back then that you could alter the the reaction that someone had when they ate eggs by doing this oral immunotherapy procedure. But OIT doesn't really catch on until the 2000s, when researchers begin testing it as a viable solution to food allergy. The good news? OIT works, and we've seen it firsthand at SickKids. In one trial, patients who once reacted to as little as one or two tablespoons of milk can now chug a glass of the stuff, which if you think about it, is pretty remarkable. 
But OIT is far from the perfect treatment allergists hoped it would be. When they started doing this, the hope was that if you ate enough of it, you could actually just cure the food allergy and completely kill those cells, kill that reaction that's going on in the body that, that recognizes the food as a threat. But that's not exactly what happened. To stay protected from the allergen, it seems most people need to keep eating the allergen. Although how much and for how long remains to be answered. Then there's the whole issue of kids with multiple food allergies. It's one thing spending months building up a tolerance to milk. But imagine also doing that for peanuts and soy and fish. Then imagine having to eat all four of those each night as a kid. But perhaps the biggest problem with OIT is the time it demands of patients, of families, and of allergists like Dr. Upton. We're called all the time now about people who want to try OIT, people who want to be offered OIT. But it's just so medically intensive that it's difficult to have a you know, wide ability to access this treatment. There's only about 250 allergists in Canada. And if each of these people on OIT was to take a year-ish with a visit every two weeks, I mean, you know, you can imagine the, um, the availability gets tied up pretty quickly. <laughs> For Dr. Upton, this poses an interesting problem. The treatment works, but it's not a viable solution for the almost 500,000 Canadian kids with food allergy, at least not yet. So she begins looking at the one variable really slowing things down, volume. There was a really important study where they looked at 300 milligrams of peanut, which is about a little bit more than one peanut, and they compared that to 3,000 milligrams. And they found that the kids were pretty similar in terms of how much could they eat. In other words, 300 milligrams offered around the same amount of protection as 3,000 milligrams. But even working up to 300 milligrams can take a year. So Dr. Upton asks herself, what's the lowest possible dose kids need to protect themselves against accidental exposures? Now, finding the smallest dose might not seem like a big deal, but think of it like training for a 5K race instead of a marathon. The lower the dose that you use, the quicker you'll be able to, to get to that dose, the fewer medical visits that you will have to take to get to that dose. And the fewer medical visits there are, the more patients allergists can see. This simple, potentially game-changing variation is what makes Dr. Upton's approach so unique. But the tricky part is finding that magic number one small enough to hasten the treatment, but big enough to protect kids against accidental exposure. Dr. Upton's best guess is 30 milligrams, about a tenth of a peanut, but she needs to test her theory to be sure. So with the help of her colleagues at SickKids and McGill University in Montreal, she begins to develop a clinical trial comparing kids at 30 milligrams of peanut to 300 milligrams. The official name is long and academic, but Dr. Upton likes to call it, how low can we go? Like many clinical trials, it takes years of planning. But in 2020, how low can you go finally begins. And the first patient to enroll is Ryan. SickKids breakthroughs are only possible with the incredible support of our donors. That's why we're proud to recognize CIBC as the premier sponsor of the SickKids Versus podcast. 
CIBC has been a champion for sick kids for over 30 years and is the largest corporate supporter of our cancer genetics program. The bank and its team members genuinely care about making a difference and support sick kids through events like CIBC Miracle Day and an active employee giving and volunteering program. One of the most important things Dr. Upton has learned from her years as a clinician is that many food allergic kids don't care about being able to eat peanut butter sandwiches. They just want to be safe. For Ryan, it's as simple as being able to eat a donut from Tim Hortons with his brother. For me, it was knowing that he would be safe and not have to live in fear. But before Ryan can begin OIT, he must complete an oral food challenge at SickKids. First, to confirm he's allergic, because believe it or not, a lot of kids are misdiagnosed with food allergy. And second, to figure out how much peanut he can eat before reacting, so Dr. Upton can track how much tolerance he builds up over the course of the study. But it's not as simple as eating peanuts under medical supervision. It's a double-blind, placebo-controlled food challenge, which, you know, is a mouthful, but it basically means that he doesn't know, and I don't know, and his mom didn't know whether he was eating peanut or not. For a kid like Ryan, who's avoided peanuts all his life, the prospect of suddenly eating it can be daunting, even in a safe space like sick kids. But Ryan says he's game. And so, in a big toy-filled room on the fifth floor of Sick Kids, the challenge begins. When I had my first dose, like when I got it, I was like, this is not peanut. And I had my second one, I was like, this is peanut. I had the third, I was like, this is peanut. And then I started to have a reaction. His gut's killing, his throat's tightening, and hives are sweeping across his back. Plus he's sneezing, a lot. Dr. Upton injects him with epinephrine to control the reaction. And when that's not enough, she gives him a second dose. Ryan recovers, but the experience leaves Jennifer badly shaken. At just a third of a peanut, Ryan went into anaphylaxis. I just wanted to go home. I was like so scared for him. I felt there was mom guilt coming in, you know, parental guilt coming in. Like, why did we do this to him? Like, was this worth it? For Ryan... The answer is clear. It was very scary, but I knew that one day I won't have to worry as much about having an allergy. So I was like, I need to keep going. Soon after, Ryan begins the trial in earnest. He takes his first dose at Sick Kids just to make sure everything is copacetic. It is, so Jennifer begins feeding Ryan his nightly dose of peanut powder at home. They experiment by mixing it with Nutella, pudding, and applesauce before eventually landing on chocolate milk, the least offensive of the bunch. I sit next to him for like a half an hour to an hour. Are you okay? Are you okay? Does your tummy hurt? Does your, does your tongue feel weird? <laughs> You're just kind of, mommy, I'm fine. Every two weeks, Ryan comes to Sick Kids, where they check his health and give him his updose, a slightly larger amount of peanut powder. Although how much exactly is a mystery to the family? and Dr. Upton. How low can we go is what's called a double-blind study, meaning that Ryan, Jennifer, and Dr. Upton won't know if Ryan is in the 30 milligram or the 300 milligram group until after Ryan finishes his second food challenge. Even though they start small and work their way up incrementally, 
the threat of anaphylaxis is always present. Anything from exercise to the common cold can amplify the immune response, triggering a reaction. So when Ryan gets heartburn after a recent updose, Jennifer panics and texts Dr. Upton. What is this? Like, what's going on? How do I make this go away? She's like, well, it should get better, but be in touch with me. Like every mom does, you start Googling. So I already diagnosed him with like the worst possible reaction to OIT. And I'm like, could it be this? And she's like, I highly doubt it. Dr. Upton continues to monitor his progress and his heartburn resolves. For the most part, that's as stressful as it gets until COVID-19 hits. With the new safety restrictions, Ryan can't come to SickKids for his biweekly visit. So he gets stuck at his current dose for four months. But this unforeseen setback may also be a blessing in disguise, a way of bolstering Ryan's tolerance. Because when Dr. Upton finally hits the unpause button on the study, Ryan sails through his next updose with no heartburn or nasty symptoms. And when I talked to him in December, Ryan has reached the maintenance phase, the highest possible dosage, which for him could be either 30 milligrams or 300 milligrams. At this point, Jennifer and Ryan already know he's built up some tolerance. Whatever his maintenance dose is, he can eat it without triggering a reaction. But the true test is the final food challenge. Only then will he know which group he's in and just how much he's protected against the food that nearly killed him. On a gray, bitterly cold February morning, Ryan and Jennifer wait in the hallway at SickKids for his final food challenge to begin. Hey, Ray. Are you nervous for today? Kind of. Ryan has good reason to be nervous. During the last food challenge, his reaction was so bad, he had to be dosed with epinephrine, twice. Ryan is called into another room, where Dr. Upton is waiting. He plops into a big blue chair. A yellow clothespin is clamped on his nose. Then he's handed a tongue depressor with a big wad of what looks like mud, flecked with rice. It's another double-blind, placebo-controlled food challenge. So he's not sure if it's peanuts or sunflower butter, but he is sure it's gross. Close your eyes. Ryan takes it down in a single gulp. And for a second, it looks like he might puke, but he doesn't. Nor does he react. That was not peanut. Oh, it might not be. Turns out it was peanut, which becomes clear when Ryan starts to break out in hives. But that's it. No gut pain, no throat tightening. No anaphylaxis, which is insane for us. They gave him some sort of like, you know, antihistamine for kids. And he chilled out for a while. And, and then it passed. Ryan was able to eat more than seven peanuts with only a mild reaction, which means he's well protected against accidental exposure. For Jennifer, it's the best possible outcome. It just changes things. Like my anxiety level and my fear level of him, you know, reacting to accidental exposure. Dr. Upton now knows if Ryan was in the 30 milligram or the 300 milligram group. But she can't tell me, not without compromising the study. 
Still, she can tell me that she's thrilled for Ryan, who no longer has to live in fear of peanuts. Thrilled for Jennifer, who no longer has to worry about anaphylaxis. And thrilled at the promise of low-dose oral immunotherapy, which could help keep countless kids safe from food. From SickKids Foundation, this is SickKids Versus. Thanks for listening. If you want to support work like this, visit sickkidsfoundation.com slash podcast to donate. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Sick Kids Versus. Sick Kids Versus is produced by me, Hannah Bank, Neil Parmar, Jasmine Budak, Colin J. Fleming, and Jillian Savigny. This episode was written by Colin J. Fleming. Sound design and editing by Quill. Production support by Aisha Bermania. For photos, transcripts, sources, show notes, and lists of donors, as well as staff who help make this breakthrough possible, visit sickkidsfoundation.com slash podcast. Oh, and please don't try oral immunotherapy at home. Not without the supervision of a seasoned allergist like Dr. Julia Upton.